Thanks for listening to the Providence Community Church Podcast. We hope you've been inspired today to love Jesus more deeply. For more information and other ways to connect with us, you can visit us on the web at providencecommunity.org. Good morning. So excited to be here this morning. I just have to confess my eyes are just a bit leaky through all that worship. And I mean, isn't it just good to have God in the house, to be with people that just love Jesus? I pray that you would know this morning how desperately he loves you, how desperately he loves you. God has been stirring up a consistent word in my heart over the last few months. And it is this, the enemy must be driven from my sanctuary. He must be driven from my sanctuary. His lies have penetrated his church so much, and we've lost sight of who we are. We don't know who we are. And Jesus is trying to awaken us to that reality of who we are, push out the enemy's lies, and show us who we have become in him. Jesus wants to see his Father's glory revealed in his house, revealed in his house. And he wants to teach us to walk in our identity as sons and daughters, We've talked a lot about the family, kingdom family, in the last few months. But I think most of us struggle to understand what that really means. We're excited about the grace that ushers us into the family, but we don't know how to live in it. We don't know how to take that grace, access it, and then let it carry us into victory in this life. That's where we fall so short. And so we fall into this pattern of coming to church on Sunday morning and proclaiming our gratitude for His grace— And then we spend the rest of our week striving, either striving or overcome. We strive to please God. We strive to look like what a good Christian should. We strive to fix what's broken in our lives. And all of our striving steals our joy, doesn't it? And joy is a part of our heritage as sons and daughters. It's a part of the blessing that we are supposed to have. We don't know how to live from the abundance of the family we belong to. We're still trying to earn what's already ours. When I was a child, a lot of my friends got paid to do chores. They would do things around the house and they could earn money that way. They got paid for good grades on their report cards. That wasn't what happened in my family. I didn't. My father chose to give us an allowance. It was something set. It didn't change. It wasn't altered by what we did or didn't do. And so I asked my dad about it because I was a perfectionist overachiever. And so I saw some potential if I could convince convince my father to start paying me for my successes and what I could do. And what he said to me stayed with me. He told me, you're a part of this family. You're part of this family, and being a part of a family brings both blessing and responsibility. And so he said, you're not going to work for money. You'll pitch in because you belong to the family, and everyone does their part. That's how families thrive. Families thrive when each part participates and learns how to serve one another with joy, and that propels and advances the whole family. But he also told me, but because you belong to the family, you're going to also reap the blessings of belonging to it. We're going to provide for you. We'll feed you, take you where you need to go. We'll see that your needs are met because what's ours is yours. You're a part of this family. And as a privilege of being a part of this family, I'll also give you an allowance, something that's just yours, something that you didn't earn, but just part of a privilege of being a daughter. 
a gift of grace given by my father to use however I would choose to. And that's what it means to belong to the kingdom family. We are both blessed and called. We have both privilege and responsibility. And the key to living abundantly in God's kingdom is learning to draw on the blessings Jesus provides to empower and fulfill the responsibility. We are supposed to draw on the blessings to fulfill the responsibility. Most of it, have us ba- we have it backwards. We keep trying to earn the blessing of the Heavenly Father. We're trying to fulfill responsibility to earn the blessing. If I fast and pray, God will, and I'll step into a blessing. That's not how it works in the kingdom family. Kingdom family members draw from the blessing, and that empowers them to fulfill the responsibility. We don't know how to do that, so instead of walking in grace, we're operating under the shackle of religion. We just put different packaging on it. We call it grace, but we're still striving. I was, I've been caught by that for so many years of my life. I'm saved by grace. I love Jesus and found myself striving to attain something from him that he'd already given. See, religion tries to measure up, tries to earn something. Grace recognizes that you never will, but that's not where it stays. That's one of the lies that has penetrated the church is that because of grace, it's okay to just stay in our brokenness. Grace doesn't stay not measuring up. It draws from Jesus to fill the lack. It draws from him. That's the difference between a servant and a son. A servant finds his identity in what he does. He works to please his master, serving from his own abilities and strengths. He offers something to the master. A son finds his identity in who he belongs to. And he lives empowered by what the father has given, and he carries the full authority of his father's name. You and I need to learn how to operate from the presence and power of God, not for his approval and for his blessing. His presence makes us more than we are. His presence makes us more than we are and enables us to fulfill more than we could ever do. That's the gift of grace. God isn't looking for service from his church, but surrender. He wants us to surrender to his love, surrender to his truth. Stop resisting his truth with the enemy's lies and start receiving it and surrendering to that truth. And as we do, we become more than we have been. Our surrender will result in, result in service empowered by God, not man. That's where God gets to be seen and known, and that's what it's all about. He wants to reveal his glory. He wants to show who he is. He wants to let people understand the love that's in his heart and that he is the source of life and strength. And that's what he's inviting us as his family to to participate in and walk in. So we're going to look this morning at when God first invited Moses into some kingdom responsibility. And we're going to draw some parallels between his struggle and ours. If you will turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Now, I'm not going to read the story from the very beginning just to save time, but most of us are familiar with the story when Moses is a shepherd working out in the wilderness and God attracts to him and calls him to himself by speaking from a burning bush. And so Moses approaches this bush, recognizes that it is God, humbles himself before him, and God speaks to him. And he says this in verse 7 
Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he goes on to, to describe it further. I want you to see something significant from verse 8. God says, I have come down to deliver them. God is moving on earth to intervene in the matters of men. And he's doing it as a result of their prayer. He says, I have heard their cry. Humanity has been crying out to me, and so now I, God, who made them, am coming in response to that. We need to understand that God always, always moves through relationship. He waits for man to invite him in, and they did. They cried out, and they cried out, and so he finally comes. He's relational, and he always moves through people. So the prayers of men invited him to come and help, and now the faith of a man will release his power and grace into their situation to help them. He always moves through people. And so here's what he says to Moses in verse 10. He says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God says, I'm going to rescue my people, and I'm going to use you to do it. Moses responded with the same doubt that most of us feel. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Can any one of you relate to that question? Who am I to do something like this, Lord? He immediately points to his identity and questions it. Who am I? He sees himself from a servant perspective. Who am I to do this thing? I'm not qualified for this. And God answers him in verse 12. He says, but I will be with you. That's God's answer. Not telling Moses who he is, but just saying, I will be with you. It doesn't matter, Moses, who you think you are. What matters is that I'm going with you. Nothing about Moses factors into the equation. Not his past his ancestry, not his skills or abilities, not the shame that he still carries because he fled Egypt 40 years before, running for his life in shame after murdering someone. None of that matters. All he says, it's just that I'm going with you. I can relate so much to this. When God first started showing me, I'm calling you to teach my word. And I'm saying to God, who am I? Who am I? I've not been to Bible school. I don't have a degree. I'm a soccer mom. Who am I? But God was showing me so clearly that he was calling me to teach, and I was wrestling with this thing. And I remember some years ago being invited to an event, and a, a teacher was speaking from the book of John. And he, he, partway through his message, he was addressing the fact that John, in the book of John, does not identify himself by name. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And when we get to the end of the book of John, there's a little parenthesis there. And as this teacher was talking, he said, this little parenthesis is like what puts a stamp on what gives him credit for writing, being able to write this gospel. This is where most of us would put our doctorate and our degree and all of the things. This is why you should trust what I'm saying to you. And he pointed out that in John's gospel, his parenthesis says... 
I'm the one who laid my head on Jesus' chest. I'm the one who laid my head on Jesus' chest. And I just began to weep because the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. That's your credentials. That's your credentials. Day by day, you're choosing to lay your head on my chest. And as long as you stay in that place and you receive from me, that's all you need. Who am I? I will be with you. That's all that matters. That's his answer. So Moses still isn't sure about this. And in verse 13, he says to God, If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So he's asking this question. Who shall I say is sending me? Now, that's an interesting question because God has already revealed himself in verse 6 from the burning bush, saying, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he knows that it's God speaking to them, to, to him. But he's still asking, who shall I say is sending me? And Moses knew that the God of Israel revealed himself at significant moments by different names as they encountered different aspects of his character. The Lord provides Comforter, Almighty God. Essentially, he's asking God, which one of you can I expect? Which one, of I can, which one of you can I expect on this journey? Who are you going to be to me if I go? What can I expect from you? And God answers him in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. It's the first time he announces himself by this name, the I am. You need provision, I am. You need comfort, I am. You need strength, I am. The all-sufficiency of who I am is going with you. And he says in verse 15, tell this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you, and this is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. In our generation, he is to be remembered as the I am, the all-sufficient one. That's who he is. That's who goes with us too. When he is sending us, when he is calling us, we have the I am going with us. And not just with us, now within us. That's what opened up to us through the cross. Ephesians 3.19 implores us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a promise to us in the New Testament, that when we know the love of Christ, when we surrender to it, when we stop putting up barriers and excuses, we open our hearts and we let him in, the result of that is that we get to be filled up with all the fullness of God. The entirety of the I am going with us wherever we go. Now Moses still isn't sure. And again, his flesh is rising up, opposing what God is calling him to do. And this time, he worries what people are going to think of him. First, he doubts himself. Then he's doubting God, who, what God is going to do for him. And then he starts to wrestle with, what are people going to think? In Exodus 4, verse 1, Moses says to God, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. 
What are people going to think? How, much of us, how many of us get caught by this one? This seems a little crazy. What are people going to think if I start doing this? What are people going to think if I start putting myself out there as a Bible teacher without a degree? They're going to think I'm nuts. And God answers him by saying in verse 2, what's that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he proceeds to go through this process of revealing his miraculous power to him. He tells him to throw the staff that he held in his hand. He knew what it was. It was his own. God did not give it to him. He throws it on the ground and it becomes a snake. And he runs away from it in fear of the snake. Then God tells him to grab it by the tail and pick it up. And for some reason, he does. And it becomes a staff again. He tells him to put his hand into his cloak and it turns leprous. Tells him to do it again and it becomes clean. He reveals his mighty power to him. And essentially, his answer to him is what what are people going to think? What if they don't believe that I'm sending you? He says, you trust me and you go and I will reveal myself. I will reveal my power and it will be his power. And he will use what you already possess to do it. What already is yours. He doesn't have to give you something more. He's not, we're not waiting to receive something. We already have it in Christ. We just need to use it as he leads us to. By faith. But I want you to notice here that never once in their conversation did God try to build Moses up and give him confidence in himself. Never once did God say to Moses, You got this. You're smarter than you think you are. He never talked about Moses' gifts, never completely turned Moses' attention off of himself and onto God. He simply told him, I am. I can, I will. And he invited him to trust him. That is the life that ushers us into the grace of God. When we turn our gaze from what is in me to what is in him and he is giving to me. And after all this, Moses still does not understand that his abilities have nothing to do with his success, same way we struggle with it. He continues to argue with God. And in verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I'm not a good speaker. That's what I would have said. <laughs> I'm not a good speaker. I would sit in the back and not open my mouth out of fear that I would say the wrong thing. That was my history. I'm not eloquent. It's one of the most frequent things I hear in the body of Christ. Why people don't share their testimony. Why people won't pray out loud for someone else. I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it. God's answer in verse 11. I find this so interesting. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. I just want to pause here for a minute. Essentially, God says to him, who made your mouth? Do you not trust that I can make it speak? He's offering Moses a miracle in this moment. I will empower you. 
beyond what you have been. I will do something in you. I will make you eloquent. Trust me, and I will do that for you. This is where so many of us miss the mark, just like Moses did. We keep defining ourselves by our weaknesses, our brokenness. I couldn't possibly, Lord. I'm not a good speaker. I've always been afraid of such and such. I couldn't do that. I'm a procrastinator. I have trouble with follow through. I shouldn't even start. Our list of things as we look at our weaknesses that we put up as reasons for the Lord of why we cannot do the thing that he's calling us to do. We use our brokenness and our weakness to justify saying no. But broken is not what we're supposed to remain in Christ. It is not who we are. Weakness is not your heritage. Your heritage is the strength of God, the strength of the Lord. The blessings offered to us as children of God include transformation, healing, redemption. He takes what is old and he makes it new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is right now a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. We approach that verse like, well, if I'm in Christ, someday, maybe, somehow, if I work hard enough, I'll become new. But what God speaks and is asking us to trust and believe is if you are in me, if you have been ushered into the family, you are right now in this moment, a new creation. The old, all your weaknesses, all your past, everything has passed away and the new has come in my son. And that is the blessing that he is inviting us to receive from him and from that place of receiving all that newness empower us to go walking in some responsibility. That's what he's calling us to. Limitations no longer define you. The fullness of the I am now does. Our encounter with Jesus is supposed to change everything. We come in one way and we go out another. That's our heritage. But most of us are coming to Christ for salvation and living the rest of our lives in our brokenness. We're just listing all our excuses of why things can never change, all the impossibilities, and we speak them to God. We've let the enemy convince us of that. We even use grace as an excuse to stay in our messes. We just keep praising God for his grace. I heard a speaker recently saying, grace takes you as you are, but demands change. That's the grace of God. It is not a license to remain broken. It is the power of God to release healing and wholeness and cleansing. One of your blessings is healing, and you will need to walk in that blessing to fulfill your responsibility. Nathan preached last week on entering new seasons. We cannot carry our old, our old lies into a new season. If we want God to do something new, we're going to have to come in a new posture. We're going to have to be receiving some new truths. Sons and daughters live beyond their own means and reveal the glory of their father. They live from his bounty instead of their lack. That's what living in, in grace is. And faith is the only thing that accesses that. It's how it's done. We hear a word from the Lord and we receive it and believe it as ours. And then the spirit within us manifests that that we have believed as a reality in our life. If we refuse to believe it, it will not manifest. Faith alone accesses the grace of God. Faith alone. So as Moses is arguing and God is saying, 
I'm going to be everything that you need. I will miraculously make you eloquent in Pharaoh's presence. I will offer you all that I am. And Moses keeps resisting, rejecting, resisting. Do you know that humanity is the only thing on this earth that resists the word of God? Humanity. We are the only thing that resists it. Everything else comes into alignment with it. We have been embracing a false humility that exalts our weaknesses. But false humility claims that God is less than who he is. It is unbelief. And God finds it tiresome. I want you to look at verse 13. After all this, God says, I will miraculously empower you to speak. And in verse 13, he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Please send someone else. Not me, God. And look at God's response in verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. The anger of the Lord was kindled against him. If it angered God when no power had yet been released to conquer the flesh, how much more will it frustrate him on this side of the cross when we resist what he is offering us? Now, when we have his promises before us in the written word that Moses did not have, and his son bled to conquer the flesh so that we could walk a new life, how much do you think it frustrates him? Over and over in the New Testament, he tells us, put off the old, renew your mind to my truth, and put on everything that I have made you to be. That's the challenge. Romans 13, 14 says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. God's been stirring that up in my heart. Make no provision for the flesh. We keep making excuses for our flesh. Well, we're only human. Well, not anymore, according to the word of God. If I have Christ in me, I'm now divine. I'm now divine. I have been empowered by God to live to something new. Make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for fear. Make no provision for doubt. Make no provision for weakness. It is a lie. It is a lie. And God is inviting us. Will you receive the truth of what I did through my son for you? I want to make you more than you are. That's the invitation that God is extending. We've just got to let him heal our wounds. We have got to let his resurrection life start flowing through us and change us and empower us to walk as more than we have thought we could be. Because it is beyond what what we can imagine what he wants to do through every single one of us. Every single one of us. 2 Corinthians 10.5 talks about destroying arguments and every opinion or pretense that sets itself up against God's truth. That's the way to victory, right there. So simple. Stop believing the lie and start embracing the truth of what God says. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and so he tells him that he's going to send his brother along. He says, okay, I wanted to work this miracle in you. You're not receiving it. You're still going, but I'm going to send your brother to you. And in verse 15, he says, You shall speak to him, and you will put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. And he shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you will be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you will do the signs. 
So God had wanted to enable Moses to speak. Instead, Moses forfeited a blessing that God wanted to pour out and took a lesser one. But God's purpose was still going to prevail. Our own arguing will cause us to forfeit blessings that God has for us. He is so ready to give. He is so ready to pour out. And we just keep arguing ourselves out of miracles. How long are we going to permit the enemy to to convince us to do that? Arguing out of our miracles. The very parts that we view as limitations provide the perfect stage for God to reveal his glory through you. The perfect stage for it. Every son and daughter has a part to play in the success of the family. Every one. Ephesians 4.16 tells us that when each part is working properly, the whole body builds itself up in love. The whole body prospers, but only when each part is working properly. Not when one or two faithful ones step up. When everyone receives and begins to walk in their responsibility as part of the kingdom family. When we start to know who we are and operate in that. I think a lot of us have let the enemy convince us that the world would be better off if we just let someone else do it. God might be calling it to me, but you know, I, you know, I have all these limitations. I'm just going to let somebody else do it instead of me. We've convinced ourselves of our insignificance, but I want to challenge you with this idea that when we let someone else do the task that God assigned to us, we diminish the anointing on that. We diminish the anointing. I want to just read to you some scriptures when God showed this to me. Oh, it just stirred up so much in my heart. God sends Moses back to Egypt with Aaron. They're going in the lesser blessing. And God is doing what he said he would do. That he would give the word to Moses. Moses would speak it to Aaron. And they would reveal his miraculous power. So in the first plague, we read in Exodus 7:19, The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron... Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers and the canals and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and vessels of stone. So you see them doing what they said. Moses speaks to Aaron. Aaron does something. The second plague, frogs. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and pools, and make frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand, and the frogs came up. In the third plague, with gnats, the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. But God makes a distinction at the fourth plague that you and I need to notice together this morning. In the fourth plague, Exodus 8, verse 20, the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out on the water. And say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Now something jumped out at me as I was studying this. There is no mention of Aaron in this passage. Aaron is not mentioned. God is just speaking to Moses, asking Moses to speak to Pharaoh. And we read something significant in verse 22. It says, but on that day, 
I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, and that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. I want to suggest to you that this was the moment that Moses stopped resisting God's call and finally surrendered to the call in his life. The moment when Moses took the staff in his own hand that was always meant to be his and the full anointing of what God had wanted to do, separating the family of God from the family of the slave drivers, that there was a distinction up to that point. Everybody suffered it together. The frogs went everywhere. Suddenly this time Moses goes before Pharaoh and a distinction is made and the full anointing pours out. Israel was spared from suffering the plagues. It goes on every single one in the fifth plague. It does not mention specifically who does it, but there is no mention of Aaron, but it does say again, the Lord will make a distinction. In the sixth plague, they do a little something different. It says, we're going to throw ashes and soot into the air. And it says, let Moses do it. And Moses does it. The seventh plague, we read, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven. And the Lord sent the thunder and the hail and the fire ran down on the earth and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. But only in the land of Goshen where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. Repeats it again in the eighth plague. Moses, stretch out your hand and Moses stretched out the staff. The ninth plague, Moses, stretch out your hand and Moses stretched out the staff. The staff of power never left Moses' hand again. He took up what God had intended for him. And this is what's so beautiful to me. He rejected the blessing. It was a misblessing, but the mercy of God. He experienced the redemption of God. And God restored to him what was supposed to be his when he came to that time of surrender. And he took that staff and he raised that staff up over the Red Sea and split it to bring a great deliverance for the people. He drew water out of a rock to, to um, feed their thirst when they were in the desert place. It never left his hand again. He surrendered to who God called him to be. He surrendered his weakness for God's strength, his old identity for the one that God was giving him. And what God did through him is recorded in scripture as so special that God himself picked him up and buried him when he died. Intimacy. This one was a friend of God. This one drew near to God and let God show him who he was, stopped resisting and surrendered. What do you hold in your hand that you're trying to pass off to somebody else? that the enemy has convinced you would be better off in someone else's hand. God knit you together with purpose, put you in your mother's womb, and he is inviting you to trust him into the fullness of what he can do in your life that is so far beyond what you can imagine. He wants to be strength in your weakness as you surrender to his love and his truth. We need to put aside doubt and take up his promises we need to stop arguing and surrender to his, his work and his word. 
We need to allow him to root us in his love so that we become an extension of it. And the I am that is within us gets to bubble up and begin to flow out, catching others in its wake. That's who he is. Let's let the glory of God fill his temple. Let's get the enemy out and learn to operate from the full measure of who he is. Let's take up what has been given to us as sons and daughters. Would you just stand with me as we close our time together? Father God, we praise you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your promises, God. We thank you that in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our arguing, God, you, can, you continue to pursue. You continue to pursue. God, I know that you are here now knocking on hearts, God. You are speaking into hearts, callings, whispering into hearts who they can be. God, we just pray for faith of your spirit to well up in them. God, as, as your family, Lord, we just surround with your love. God, and tell the enemy he is not welcome here. His lies are not welcome here. Truth prevails in this place. Love prevails in this place. Strength and redemption prevails in this place. So God, I pray, Lord, that we would respond, God. Oh Lord, would you just open hearts to respond to your call to be sons and daughters, God. If they have not entered in, Lord, I pray that they would come running to you to become more, Lord. And those of us that do belong, God, I pray that you would just infuse us with a faith to believe you for more, God. To stop holding up our weaknesses and exalting them in our lives, God. But embracing the reality that in you, we have no weaknesses because you have made them strength. Lord, have your way in this place. God, captivate us with your love. Help us to believe you for more. And empower us to go set captives free in your mighty name. Thank you. I am. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.